0: was a dead man running he ran blindly desperately through the swirling green fog deep sobbing breaths rasping into his tortured lungs he knew there was little hope somehow he had been separated from the others in the ambush and now his enemies were hunting him without checking his run he glanced back over his shoulder shadowy figures were flitting through the dunes behind him His foot slipped on a loose rock, and he pitched forward onto his face. He rolled over, scrambled to his feet, and ran on, snatching another quick look behind him. This time he saw nothing, but he knew that they were all around him, herding him across the dunes like a hunted beast. As he ran, confused memories flashed through his mind. Selection for this all-important mission? Farewells to family and friends on Earth. The landing on this isolated hell planet. And then, disaster. A superbly equipped expedition from one of the most advanced cultures in the galaxy, suddenly and utterly helpless. He reached a small stagnant pool, stopped to get his bearings, and a black cloaked hooded figure rose up before him like a ghost. He turned aside, and another appeared, barring his path. He swung round. More silent figures had appeared behind him. He snatched the blaster from his belt and glared defiantly around him. The weapon was useless on this planet, but if one of them came close enough, he could use it as a club. There was a sudden blur of movement from one of the silent figures, and he felt a blow over the heart. It felt no worse than a heavy punch. But when he looked down, there was an arrow jutting from his chest. More arrows thudded into his body, and he staggered back, falling with a splash into the little pool. As its darkness swallowed him, his last bitter thought was that he had failed. His entire mission had failed. And because of that failure, untold millions, would die a hideous death.
1: Welcome to Doctor Who On Target. podcast where we discuss the target range of classic Doctor Who novelisations from the 1970s and 80s. Those long ago days where, if you missed Doctor Who on TV, you missed it forever. Unless, of course, you bought the target novelisation. So, join us. Jump aboard the TARDIS. Set the time rotor for late 20th century Earth. And, with a wheezing groaning sound we'll discuss Doctor Who on target. some more news from BBC Audio of the rest of the Target adaptations that they're going to be releasing for the rest of this year. Um, Now we're going to have Richard Franklin reading The Clause of Axos, that's one I'm looking forward to, and also the fabulous John Calshaw reading, this is going to be next month's Doctor Who and the Suntaran experiment. I really hope this one is as good as Death to the Daleks, but we'll more about that later in the episode. Um, we also have, and this is very interesting, Doctor Who, the Macra Terror. Now, this is read by Annika Wells, And of course, it's one of the missing stories. We only have a few um, very small clips of that, I believe, from the Australian censor clips. Um, now... Michael and I are going to be reviewing this one because Michael came up with the idea of we haven't actually reviewed any missing episode serials before. So we're going to be doing this one, I think, sometime in... Well, it's not released until August, but we'll do that one. After that, then, in um, September, we are going to have Doctor Who and the Invasion of Time. Again, written by Terence Dixon. This one's read by John Leeson, which will be that will be very exciting. I like uh, the sound of that. And then finally on the sixth of October, Doctor Who: The Time Meddler, uh, reader to be announced. That one's written by Nigel Robinson, and that one being released much later than the others. I don't. I've never actually read the Time Meddler, so. Um, That's going to be very interesting indeed. So that's the rest of the Target uh, serials that are going to be released from BBC Audio later in the year. There's no news yet on whether the Target books themselves are going to be reissued. Just these audio versions but we'll be reviewing all of them anyway. Okay so back to this week's episode. A mysterious power loss strands the TARDIS on Exelon, a sinister, fog-shrouded alien planet. What terrifying power makes captives of all who come here? What is the secret of the mysterious deserted city with its great flashing beacon? And what sinister plan has brought the Daleks to Exelon? The Doctor and Sarah must risk their lives time and again in a desperate attempt to foil the daleks and save millions of humans from the horrific plague hello and welcome to doctor who on target this is greg in swansea and this is michael from norfolk fabulous and can you tell us michael what story are we looking at today
2: well, uh, we're looking at Death to the Dialects by the one and only Terence Bicks. Oh, fabulous.
1: And I know that you particularly wanted to take part in this one. So tell us the reasons why this one has a particular meaning for you. Well,
2: um, I used to get a lot of uh, Target novels, mainly from like gamble sales, etc. But I, I remember on on one particular occasion... Uh, where I live, there weren't many bookshops, but uh, the local news agents, they, uh, they had a lot of paperback novels. I remember going in there one Sunday morning um, with my grandfather and I saw this novel, uh, Death to the Daleks, and, you know, the cover really struck me. And, you know, uh, I wasn't familiar with the story. I didn't know what it was about. It's, it just had that fantastic image of this dialect blowing up on the front. And, uh, yeah, I bought it, and uh, it cost me the Princeton sum of one pound twenty-five back then. Uh, this would be the, uh, I believe it's the reprint in nineteen eighty-two.
1: Fabulous! Oh my god, I that's... would have been ten years old. Oh, ten years old. Now that's interesting because um, um, I haven't got my original edition, but I've got one which I picked up, and this one was one pound thirty-five. So I'm yeah. guessing, I'm going to look, and yeah, this is the 1984 reprint. So obviously um, they, they, they'd they slapped 10 yeah. pence on it in, in two years. Um, but yeah, similarly to you, I remember I used to go to town on a Saturday. It was with my mother at that age. And I was allowed to choose one Target book. And I remember seeing this cover... Amongst the other ones, I had to have it. This this was the. Mm. It says everything, doesn't it? You you said it's it's brilliant marketing before. What what tell me what you mean by that?
2: Well, I mean it's attention grabbing, really. I mean, I mean interestingly, I mean this doesn't have John Pertwee's doctor on the front cover. Yeah. For yeah. a start, I mean its selling point is a dialect. Yeah. Getting blown to smithereens. Oh um, fuck! Fab- you, you know, I and mean, it's quite in the image,
1: really. Yeah, yeah, and it it, it is iconic, absolutely. And um, this was one of the ones on display at the Cartoon Museum uh, at the Target exhibition recently. Mm. And um, it's just a brilliant cover, even after all these years. It still looks so vibrant, and it just says everything, doesn't it? You want to know what's going on here.
2: Well, I think the interesting thing is, I mean, um, if you look at some of the later covers that were to come, um, because I think we weren't far, this was uh, reprinted around Peter Davison's era. Yeah. Um, They were going for, like, uh, photos.
1: Oh no, not the photo. Yeah, you couples. know,
2: yeah. In this one, I I'm not quite certain who did the cover for this. Um, but you no. know, it, it's, it, it's it's a bit similar to the situation that we have now with a lot of movie posters. A lot of movie posters are Photoshop efforts now.
1: Yes, yeah. Whereas
2: back in the day, you'd have uh, artists like Drew Struzan, who do, you know, he did a lot of. Uh, like the posters for Indiana Jones, etc. Really striking posters. Yeah. And this is the thing about this this cover. It's a it's a it's a simple image, but it's a striking image. So, you know, that that was the appeal to me. Like I said, I had no idea what this story was about.
1: Well, that's that's a very interesting point for a couple of reasons. And first of all, I'll just say the cover artist was actually Roy Knight spelt K-N-I-P-E. I'm not
2: sure... not familiar with him at all.
1: No, me neither. Me neither. It's not one of the usual guys. It's not Chris Achilleos. It's it's not, yeah. But um, there is something. You you mentioned you weren't familiar with the story. I thought I wasn't familiar with the story until I read it when I had these recollections that I had actually seen it on original transmission or parts of it. Mm. But I wasn't aware of it there. But... There's something I wonder if Michael, um, you being the the font of knowledge of Doctor Who, well, can you tell me what's in what the anomaly is between what we see in on the cover and the story as happens? There's something not quite uh, right about it, is there? Um. Well, um, I don't
2: know really. I mean, the livery is correct.
1: Yeah. It's the Dalek is actually spot on. It's actually, it's the right Dalek. The problem is, I you'll probably correct me now, but to to my knowledge, I believe that this scene actually never happens in the story.
2: No, it it doesn't. I mean, um, you, you know, certainly nothing as grandeur as what we see on the cover for this book.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah,
2: we do have a few Daleks burst to flame into the TV serials, but nothing nothing like that, but,
1: no. um, we'd, we'd have to wait. Going, we'd... Sorry, go on, Michael.
2: Well, I was going to say a bit, but, but, you know, Doctor Who had a budget on, on TV, and, uh, we weren't going to go for anything as fanciful
1: as, as this, uh, wonderful cover. Yeah, yeah, well, not for a few years yet, anyway. Don't mind you, 1980. No, oh, no, this was 78, wasn't it? It was uh, 70. Oh, yeah, it'd be a few years yet before we got the lovely exploding Daleks of well, Peter, yeah. Peter Davison years and so forth, yeah. But if could just go then. So, Death to the Daleks, fabulous title, originally written, of course, um, for the TV screen by Terry Nation. Um, This version by Terran Dix. Now, what do you think of the story?
2: Well, I, I think you know we we have to look at the the TV serial, yeah, really. Um, and I, I I've been thinking about this, and I, I, it has to be said, it's a, I think it's a lazy script in some respects.
1: Ah, uh, not something te- not something Terry Nation was known for. He says ironically.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well. Okay, I, I see. let's look at the concept. So you've got the this planet. Yeah. The planet Exelon. Yeah. Um and the planet absorbs energy. Yes. Yeah. Uh, which, which is a neat idea, to yeah. be quite honest. You know, yeah. uh, you know, those uh, those early scenes in the target where, you know, the doctor sort of like states somewhat solemnly that the card is
1: design. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a, um I, I think that's uh it's a great scene because that concept of the power being drained, I thought it was beautifully written in the novelisation and on the CVs because of course it goes from main power and then don't worry we, we, we've got backup power the backup mm. power goes don't worry we've got emergency power pa- and, and we end up with um an oil lamp and uh, yeah. w- which i love yeah yeah well i, I mean you know that that's that,
2: that's a good point really because it does goes to show that um only artificial power sources are being drained it's not Everything. So that that's a good that's a good point there. Yeah, yeah. But here and why is the problem. That good old Terry Nation. He comes up with and he, he came up with you know his contributions to the series. He always had great concepts and ideas. Yeah. yeah. But here and why is the problem. So you have the dialects turn up. Yeah. You know, I and mean, effect- their ship is affected by their power loss. hmm But they're not.
1: Oh, no, yes. Yeah, you've just pointed out a serious flaw there, of course. Yeah, yeah, I did I did. Know, be- yeah.
2: Because, you know, back to the, the you know, the, the dead planet.
1: Yeah.
2: You know, the TV serial, Doctor and Exciting Events with the dialects. You know, they draw their power from static electricity. That that's established in that first serial. And, and over the each subsequent serial we see the Daleks evolve. Yeah. You know, with uh in the invasion of Earth they've got that 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 sort of like that dish on the on the on the back panel. Yeah. yeah. On the back of the die. Then and, and then, you know, when you get to the chase they've got the slats which we assume is a way of drawing solar power or, or similar, something like
1: Yes. Yeah. Do you know but Go on, yeah, sorry, Michael. Oh, yeah, no, you go on? Please. I I was going to say actually I've uh, I this never occurred to me before. Now now you you've put it out in si- scientific terms of the the construction of the story and and the world mm. being conveyed in a, I I've suddenly realised that's a pretty major flaw, actually, isn't it? Yeah, but
2: when, but when it I it wasn't single game. is you can. He you cannot you this this concept. Of, you know, something's draining power on this planet. We, and, you know, at that point in the story, we don't exactly know what. Yeah. It's like, you know, you know. Um, but then, um, like you say, you had the dialects turn up. And, and later on in the story, actually, Sarah Jane does actually sort of like saying to the doctor, you know, why isn't it affecting them? Now, in the TV serial, the doctor says something like they move around by psychokinetic power. Ah. Ah. And yeah. you're like, where's that come
1: from? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This is... I I would say, again, you know, as I say, it's a flaw I've never noticed before, but you're absolutely right. And I think it's a typical Terry Nation thing, isn't it? You know, the, the minute you start to... Try and take apart a Terry nation script, I think a lot of the time, certainly with the Daleks i mean um they they i mean we we only have to look at what was the, the Android invasion was a Terry Nation script, wasn't it when we were meant yeah. to believe all the way through that this guy I forgot, i've forgotten I've his name now, but the the astronaut um with the eye patch on had mm. never looked under the eye patch uh, yes. the whole time he was there to see that his eye was actually still there. And um, I I feel, I feel, Michael, now you've pointed out, I feel a bit like that guy, actually. I feel like I, I've had my eye patch on all the time and not looked at why nothing else can move, but the Daleks can. So Well, I,
2: I think the thing is, it's kind of like, uh, I think Terry Nation kind of like glossed over that point.
1: Hmm. I yeah.
2: think he kind of, like, he wrote himself into a corner, then he's like, well, I'll just put in a faraway line. And the, the interesting thing is, I mean, in, in the novelization, yeah. Uh Terry Nation, uh, you know, he writes, you know, Sarah Jane asks, if they're robots, why isn't there power affected? How can that still move? And the Doctor's reply is because they're not really robots at all. Inside each of those metal shells is a living, doubling
1: lump of hate. Yes, yeah.
2: Yeah. You know, and it's, it's kind of like, it's glossed over again. Yes,
1: yeah.
2: And yeah. I, know, I think at that point, really, you, you just kind of like go with it. But my, my point is that I think Terry Nation's uh, script was a bit lazy. Mm. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, if Terry Nation's script was lazy, and I wouldn't disagree with you there, what mm. about Terran Stix's novelisation? I, I, I think what
2: I've noticed reading uh Terrence Dixie's novelisations every now and again he would improve upon what was televised and yes I think this is very much the case here yeah yeah because you know I, I like I like the televised story I think it's good fun I yeah. think you, you know um it's a good sort of like Sunday night entertainment. You know, if you want to put something on this, it's not a lot of fun. I think this is a good story, but I think he's he's parents uh, has added uh, a lot more tension to it. I think. I think. I think. Um, you know, when the doctor encounters the uh, the good from
1: Earth. Yeah. Um galloway
2: yes yeah uh, who who i who I love you know, that gruff scotsman, yes, you know, you know when the doctor asks what's 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 been happening, hes, oh man, where have you been hiding? you know like, I love that, I yeah. mean, he's like, and the doctors like you know what you know he wants to help, and all like Galloway's suspicious, he's like, well, who the hell are you? yes,
1: yeah, yeah.
2: And you get you get an increase like in the TV story, but I think in the in the book is more of it, right? And yeah. I like that. Yeah, I like that. He he he's kind of like spiced it up. Yeah, that's what Terence has done here. He's spiced it up.
1: Absolutely, I I I'd, I'd agree with you there. Definitely. I mean. I'll just say because we we are mentioning as well the the new um release from BBC audio of mm. course with the um um who John Cullshaw is narrating mm. it and um the opening scenes of this with John Cullshaw um doing the voice of of uh, well he does the voice of John Peabody and he doesn't try to emulate Sarah thankfully no. but he does a fab job of it I absolutely love the soundscape and everything in this in this new audio, re- I thought it's done really well. He ca- do you think he captures John Poo really well? Well, he's
2: you know obviously John Colshaw's a big Doctor Who fan.
1: Yeah,
2: you know I I I attended the uh, 40th anniversary convention in London, and he was there as a, as a guest, and I didn't actually twig at the time. I, you know, I'd seen him do the Tom Baker thing, but I didn't realise how much of uh a fan he was. I mean oh,
1: right,
2: um, right. Yeah, he did do a few impressions actually uh, while he was there. Yeah. And um and I think the thing is about about John Coleshaw, I mean his passion as a fan comes through on in the audiobook.
1: Yes. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? It really does. It's uh I, I think it's great. Like the opening scenes, um which our listeners will be able to hear because it'll be at the beginning of this podcast, where he's describing um the the arrows being shot into his mm. chest and it was he said something like it's no it was no more than a thump but when he looked down there was an arrow gone right through yeah. his chest as a and I thought that's a fab opening you know and and it's it's good on the TV screen as well but I think it's done even better here do you think.
2: Yeah, I think I think so. I mean, the the, the thing about, I mean, this is an this is an argument that's often
1: used. Yeah.
2: Um, with regards to audio drama, you have no budget. Yeah. You don't have to worry about that. So yeah. you, you know, the sky's the limit. Yeah. And you know, when you watch the TV serial, I mean, I always found it amusing when you know they they they're first getting ambushed by the extra ones.
1: Yeah.
2: And, you know, let's, let's run for that trench.
1: Yes, yeah. And
2: you've got the trench there, they're hiding in the trench, you've got the dialects, well, standing, for want of a better word, waggling around their gun sticks.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: And you, you kind of think, it's such a, it's such a silly sight, yeah. the dialects, well, going for cover, when they're actually fully exposed.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> and I and think when you read, when you listen to the audio book,
1: you know, or we'll read the novel. You, you know, I mean, it, it's 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 better. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is better, and I I think um, I do remember um, the fabulous descriptions and scene of the of the excellent city
0: being. Mm.
1: Um, you know, when it's destroyed at the end, when they when they blow yeah. up the it and it's uh it's melting. And I yep. also remember in my imagination reading it in this book going, oh, that sounds fab. And then, of course, when I eventually got to see the TV series, I, well, what what is it, Poly- polystyrene or something melting? I think
2: it? it was styrofoam or something styrofoam. like that. Styrofoam,
1: yeah, yeah. And it didn't look quite as spectacular as it sounded. No, uh, well,
2: I mean, let's be honest, I think even... That the model of the city itself was
1: pretty unspectacular. Yeah, 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 and it, it's such a pity because, as I say, I listened to this audio um, mm. on a long drive recently up to to Yorkshire, and I drove at night, and um, listening to it, it was just it was just fab. It took me right back into it because I think Terence is really good at pacing get in the pacing back and like you say in the character of galloway and um uh, mm. um oh the well sorry i've lost it well there. hamilton yes yes that's right yeah um all, all of these coming across it was just like really quite an intense adventure and it seemed quite um it just seemed to be quite realistic in the sense of this world of what was going on, the machinations between them, and like you say, the um, was it Galloway who's taken over from the captain when he was dying? Yeah, because
2: he's like, I'll do what I have to do to get this mission done. Yes. Um, yeah, but you know, there's a nice, um, a paragraph in here in which we get a little bit of background to Galloway and you know where he's come from, and um, yeah. you
1: know
2: the, the, this kind of thing in the game. It just beats the characters up a bit. And what I have to say, I do take a bit of an issue with Peter Hamilton,
1: right? right.
2: Um, you know, he's, just a, he's, he's very much stiff upper lip. Uh, you know, he says to Galloway, You're totally ruthless, yes, and uh, I'm
1: kind of like crazy.
2: <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he's a bit, uh, he's a bit old hat. Uh, His old Hamilton.
1: Yeah, yeah. You you, you do get that in there. I mean, reading it again and listening to it again many years later as an adult, you you pick up on those things which I don't think. Well, I. I don't remember picking up on on it as a child. Did did you then, or was it something new to you? Are you you reading it from a different perspective now, do you think?
2: Well, I, I think inevitably you do as an adult. I mean, we can look at things with a nostalgic glow. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, the adult in us will look at these things with a very different perspective. Yes, yeah. That's inevitable. Yeah. That that doesn't mean
1: to say that you can't enjoy it. No, no. Oh, absolutely. You you have to overlook some of the um some so, some of the issues, I think. I mean, um there was quite a bit of controversy lately, wasn't there, about um Russell T. Davis's new adaptation of A Midsummer's Night's Dream where mm. he basically censored the parts about young girls committing suicide for love. And there yeah. was quite a bit of controversy about it. Now, I understand why he did that, but I don't agree with it. Um, and I think, one, because it's, I think Shakespeare got an essential truth there, which is that young people who fall in love and um, their love is rejected, they lose their love, they do feel like that. It doesn't mean they're going to do it. It's just the feeling of it. But I think yeah. with I I don't know if you agree with me or disagree, but um, but I think some of the attitudes and and characters and actions we see in the old Target novels aren't acceptable these days. So you can understand you've got to overlook that, you know. But I I don't know about censorship. Uh, what what do you think about that, Michael?
2: Oh, cranky. Um. Wow. Well, Eight. I think it all... Again, I think it all depends on how you approach these books, written. I mean, at the end of the day, these were written for children. Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: You know, uh, I mean, later on, when they started to do the new adventures... Yeah. You know, they were written with a much more mature audience in mind. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's not to say that these books didn't have... um,
1: uh, As we put it? The scary moments, shall we say? Yes, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think, um, uh, but I, I do think though that um, put in some of the perhaps um, colonial attitudes aside, perhaps we say, you know, mm. it's, um I think they are still rip roaring adventure stories, and um, yeah, uh, yeah.
2: I, I think that was Terry Nation's forte. To be quite
1: honest. Yes, yeah, I think so too, and I, I think some of the descriptions that I, I love when he's talking about. I think the first time we meet um, Balal, the, the excellent, oh, yeah. yeah, and he I, I don't th-
2: understand. Yeah, it's
1: fab, isn't it? I love it, and I think he describes him as a a grey body oozing out of the crack in the rock. Yeah. You know, I thought, oh, this is. This this is so exciting. I mean, I remember reading it as a child. Did were you excited reading this as a child? Then did you did, when you got past that cover? Did it live oh, up yeah. to it? Yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean, again, I, I mean, it's a bit like um, it's a bit like reading this book for the first time was a bit like when you watched when they were releasing these stories on VHS. Yeah. Yeah. They were new. Yes. If you hadn't, you know, if you, it's like when they started putting out the the Hartnell ones. And yeah. Those early stories. Um, they were new, so they were exciting. And I think the thing is, because,
1: uh, you know, when this book was published.
2: Yeah. You couldn't buy these on video.
1: No, absolutely not. You couldn't. That was and
2: that... I don't think, I mean, they, they repeated the odd few. Yeah. Yeah. And there's always been this, Yeah, you know, the thing about the, the target novelisations for the, the Doctor Who videos of their day.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, Man. I mean, I do think this is an exciting book. I mean, yeah, I mean the one thing you can say about Death to the he he's it, it, a fast-paced adventure. I mean, I, I remember um, meeting... Elizabeth Sladen in in Norwich at a very, it was a small fan event, and this was prior. Right. To school reunion.
1: Oh, right, right, yeah. And
2: somebody, they were doing the question and answer thing, and somebody in the audience asked Elizabeth Sladen what her favourite story was. Yeah. And she said Death to the Dialects. Oh, interesting. Which surprised me somewhat, and she said the reason she liked it so much, because it was
1: fast-paced. Yeah, age. yeah, it is fast paced. Absolutely, it is fast. Michael, could I ask you to pause one sec? Oh. Yeah. Do you, you just can hear Jack barking? Uh, <coughs> I'm just going to uh, swap rooms because some the kids opposite have just put up a football thing outside and started kicking a football and screaming and shouting. Okay. So just give me just give me one minute. I'm going to move everything across. One sec. I'll go to the back room. One set, I got it. Oh, This is blade Can you just go here and you like go? Yes, I can. Oh yeah have to back as well. right let me think. This is the problem I got in the you know in the summer they you know what it's like at the front they got this old green grass and they let me put things up. I don't know what to do now. One sec, like, uh, if I could. Uh, okay. Yeah. Is it pink or green bags
2: tonight?
1: I think it's pink and black. I'm guessing. I, will you have a look down there? Because I'm not. I'm not you
0: sure.
1: Yet? Yeah, I'm not sure. Green. Oh, well, we'd be green as well, then. <coughs> oh, my God, I'm going to have to go back in this room. Damn. Well, don't right about it? do that right about it? Yeah. You couldn't come down here and tell him to bog off, could you? It's not, no. <laughs> best not to, I suppose, isn't it? Right, sorry, my I've got... Yeah, I've got... I've closed the window, closed curtains, just... Hopefully, calm down a bit. Um, <coughs> sorry, Michael. This is this bit's going to be cut out. Obviously, <coughs> excuse me. Sorry, Michael. What what was the last bit you were saying there? Oh, it's gone now. It? Don't, don't, <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. We'll uh, we'll go back to. Um, let's have a look. Oh, right. I, I re- think
2: I want remember. I mean, I was talking about. Um, you
1: know Elizabeth Sladen been talking about how fast paced. Oh yeah, yeah. You, you know that. that That's I right. Say. Yeah. So I'll just come back with that and say, um yeah, I, I, I agree with her on that. But it is fast paced. It's um, it's it's a fast paced story, and I think there's enough going on there to it just pull. What do they call them? Page turners, isn't it? It's a it's a page turner, I think, and I. I also love the fact, I mean, I like this with all the good Target books, which is the chapter titles, you know. Mm. Um, I mean, look look at this. If I just read some of these out. Death of a TARDIS. The Ambush. Expedition from Earth. The Deadly Arrivals. A Truce with Terror. You know, Escape escape to the Unknown. The Nightmare. It's fabulous, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I mean, I have to say, when you mentioned Escape to the Unknown, I immediately thought of um, Mission to the Unknown.
1: Yes, yes, it did make me think of that too, yeah. The City Attacks, you know, they're great titles, I love all that. And I think you are right regarding, I think, you know, the story um, being perhaps not as uh, tightly put together as, as some other... Um writers would have put them, but I think Terence Dix does a really good job of trying to tie it all up into a, a fast-paced adventure.
2: Yeah, I I think. Well, I mean, he was he's an old hand at this kind of thing, really. But yeah. I think, I think I think what's interesting about Terence Dix when he did the novelizations of these dialect stories from the PERTY era.
1: Right, right.
2: I think. He really did improve on them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, if you ever read uh, Day of the Dialects,
1: yes, yeah. the
2: novel. I mean, that's that's almost a completely different version.
1: Yeah, it is, isn't
2: it? Um, you, you know, and obviously, when you get to Planet of the Dialects, it's a hell of a lot easier to uh, to write up. Um, an army of 10,000 dialects, and what we saw on a screen. Yes, yeah. So and I think the thing is, with this one, with this story again, I think, yeah, you know, I mean, uh, the infamous cliffhanger to episode three when, you know, they walk along the corridor and you hear John Perkley say, Stop.
1: Mike, I'm going say that it, bit again, it, it broke out. When you go say the infamous. Number
2: three again. Oh, the infamous cliff—the infamous cliffhanger to uh, episode three when John, uh, when the Doctor and the are walking along the corridor, and this like John Purvis's stop, and the reveal is
1: that uh, check that uh, checkered floor. Yes, yeah. You
2: know the the where they have to do hopscotch across.
1: Terrifying, terrifying that checkered floor. Um, yeah. Well, <laughs> for all the wrong reasons, perhaps, but. <laughs> Um, I think I, I think um, Barry Letts later said on the DVD commentary, I think, wasn't it, that yeah. he showed us where it was meant to be cut, wasn't it, which was um, a much more dramatic scene, sort of, a minute or two later, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's... Um...
2: But, you anyway, know, that's one of the staples of uh, Doctor Who, really. You know, they're always encountering some kind of... Birth trap or something like that. It's just a pity that on this occasion this one was so nasty. But yeah, yeah again I think I think in the novel Yeah Terence Dix he made it that much more
1: threatening. Yeah, yeah, he did. And I think this is the beauty of Terence. I mean he would have been the script editor on the original serial for this I'm I'm assuming, wouldn't he? He he might have been I I mean off the top of my head
2: I, I can't, I can't say yes, but I think, I think you're right. But something which is just um, popped into my head was this was the last story to feature the dialects as
1: independent creatures. Oh, yes, yes, because
2: yeah. the, the the next dialect story had Davros in it.
1: Oh, you're right, of course. So, yeah, so this is the last time we see the Daleks as they were really orig- throughout the 60s and early 70s, because...
2: Well, yeah, yeah, that's it, really. I mean, and from, from really after this, you know, they were arguably never the same again. No. To, just to a certain extent. I mean, they became... More of the more in the background.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah, but which, which is a is a well, I I don't want to say it's a pity, but I, I because I absolutely love the character of Davros, but I the more you say that, the more I'm aware of the fact that this really does have a very nineteen sixties Terry Nation feel to it, doesn't it? In the, well, in
2: the- yeah, it, it does really. I mean, you could um, this 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 group from Earth. Yeah. Um you know they could almost be uh the same uh bunch of characters uh that were in the Daleks' master plan. Yes. Um yeah. You know from that same organization. Yeah. Or yeah. or or you know um and you know I remember when um you know the Barrylets the production team they approached Terry Nation to do another dialect story and you know, he, he did he produced one. Yeah. And Barry Ouellette said, Well, this is this is all very good, but it's it's not that different from what you've done before.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and I think this is the thing really with Death to the Dialects is, you know, as as entertaining as it is.
1: Yes. Yeah. There
2: is a sense of familiarity to I- it.
1: I absolutely agree. I actually um I could not laugh into myself there, Michael, because that time when I met Terrence sticks, and he told that um that that very tale that you said there and he I don't know if he embellished it or that it was the exact one, but he said uh, they met um they met Terry Nation for lunch. Um it was Barry Letts, Terence mm. and meeting him for lunch. And they said he Terrence Dix said that um uh, Terry Nation always had a bottle of the best champagne for lunch. He said, every yeah. single day for Yeah, yeah. And um, he said, he opened it, and he said, right, you've had the script. And uh, Barry Letts and Terran said, yeah, it's a, it's a great skip, very adventurous. They yeah. said, the, the only problem is you've sold it to us 15 times before. Yeah. <laughs> Which, um... I don't know if that's an embarrassment, but it's a it's a good tale anyway. It's and it's.
2: it's... Well, Roger Moore said the same thing, you know, when because um, Terry Nation he wrote a lot of scripts for the Saint, and Roger Moore would read the scripts and said, "Ah, it's Terry Nation."
1: Ah, <laughs> he knew straight away what uh, what well, he was yeah,
2: getting. But, but, but at the same time, that's not really to take away anything from Terry Nation, because on the whole. Yeah. He did write some very good stories for Doctor Who.
1: Yeah, I absolutely. I mean, I like um, I like Terry Nation scripts by and large. I, I like that uh, feel. They they're not overly complex. They're quite um, stark in there and simplistic in the characterisation mm. and so forth. But if you just want a nice adventure to settle back and enjoy, I I I rather I rather like that. But no, you you mm. don't get depth. I mean Terence I mean you said it earlier, Michael, Terence adds depth to the characters. He adds bits in, he adds a bit more background and Well he uh,
2: particularly does with Garowine. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, um, G- Galloway, I, I I think, is an interesting character in this. Yeah. Um, you know, because it, it's interesting how he's mistrustful of the Doctor. Yeah. He's disgusted at the idea of going into a partnership with the directs. Yeah. But when they get captured... Yeah later on and again you know, the image of sort of like dialects you in know a, in a, like a cell yeah um I find amusing really, um mm. you know and and when the dialects get the upper hand,
1: yeah,
2: you know when they turn it with their machine guns um you know Galloway's he's on about teaming up with the dialects.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Because he's all you know. He's all about. Oh, I'm prepared to do what I have to do to get the mission done. He's a very complex character, really. Yes. Yeah. He he his allegiances go from one extreme to the other.
1: Yes. Yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, he seems it in the scene with the, with the captain, the day, and there. Um, mm. You know, it's quite. Um, in fact, it brought me in mind of though. Obviously, it's much later. Um, what do we see in Gladiator, where um, the son of you know the beginning of Gladiator, where he actually appoints um, mm. Marcus Aurelius, I believe, is it to to be the next leader of Rome? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, and he. Yeah, he that's right. Yeah, and he kills him. There, I mean, obviously, it's 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 much more uh, graphic and serious because he actually kills him. He doesn't Galloway doesn't do that. But he disobeys the last mm. order, and it's based on his own idea, like you say, of saying, um, about not failing. I suppose, isn't it? He he says the other guy, the other guy he's appointed is too weak, isn't
2: it? Yeah, I mean it's a guy. A guy. I keep going back to the character of Galloway, but I I think obviously. Terence Dix, he who knows the doctor and the and whatever companion is inside and out and i I have a feeling when he wrote this, he's like, I, I can have some fun with this Galloway character because yes. i you know I'm just flicking through the novel just now I mean I, I was just looking at a passage where the command has just died, and the the Galloway thinks to himself, well, once the doctor and his companion are dead, I'll, I, you know, I'll outwit the dialects and the Exelons and all this kind of thing. So he's constantly, so he's put all these inner thoughts in, you know, and I, I think that's really good. I think that's interesting.
1: Yes, yeah, it, it is. It's, it's a, I think it's, it's a really good novelisation. I say, and it really is helped by, um, the extra pull into the characterisation you see mm. there. But I, I think just I, I, I like the when they enter the city, you know, and there's is a bit of a race. I mean, we've seen it yeah. time and again, haven't we? You know, it's uh, going right back to the sixties, the early sixties, up all the way. Well, through. it's
2: kind of like something that's repeated a couple of years later with pyramids of Mars.
1: Yeah, it is, yeah, it is, yeah, again...
2: Yeah, you, p- know, and, you know, I mean, like, I mean, it happened a hell of a lot, but Pyramid into Mars springs to mind straight away. Yeah, yeah. You know, because they even do the whole bit with the puzzles.
1: Yeah, yeah, the puzzles. Reminded me a bit of Tomb of the Cybermen, with the uh, the puzzles. Oh, what, the logic stuff. Yes, yes, yeah, there's a lot of that. Uh, and again, of course, um, The Five Doctors, we have this... Uh, Sort of scenario. Oh, try it, doctor.
2: It's as easy as
1: pie. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yes, yeah, as easy as pie. Um, but um, considering the side are supposed to be so intelligent, I'm surprised they didn't well, think. Oh that... yeah. Yeah, well, but yeah. Uh, you can't take away from it. But um, so would you would you recommend this book to read, Michael? Oh yeah, yeah,
2: absolutely, absolutely. I I think it's. Yes, yeah, certainly there are there are better stories out there, mm-hmm. but I I think this is a good old fashioned adventure. Yeah, yeah, I I
1: think you so. Know,
2: um, I, I, you know, um, it is an improvement on the television serial, without a doubt. Yeah. But again, I think Terence has he's added some depth. I think yeah, he even gives dialect some depth as well. See that
1: bit again, you know, because, oh, sorry, he
2: was. I, 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 always think the He gave the dialects some depth.
1: Yes. Yeah.
2: You know, because um, I think dialects are better when they're scheming.
1: Yeah, yeah. There is quite a bit of scheming going on in there, isn't there? I quite like that. Uh, that scene. You where know, they...
2: um, I'm not too certain about them having little police boxes
1: on their spaceship, bro, but. <laughs> Is that is that repeated in the in the novelisation? I can't I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. is. Is it? Oh. Is this yes. when is this when they.
2: This is when they're testing out their machine
1: guns? Yes, that's right. Yeah, to check them um, that they actually work and isn't it? They take aim Yeah. Yeah. Mm, don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> um. You know.
2: Um. I wonder if they had any other ranges of uh, the uh, merchandise at hand. Yeah. <laughs> but, um. But. But like I say, they, they made them he made them schemers and you know, that it's, it's like um there's a there's a there's a passage in the book when um they make a point that this mentioned that there are another three dialects in the spaceship. Yeah, yeah. But they were gonna keep that a secret. And it's not something you're completely aware of in the
1: T V serial. Yes, yeah, yeah. So
2: yeah, I would recommend
1: this book. I think it's a it's a right good read. Oh, lovely, Michael! Yeah, Terence would would approve heartily of that. And what what do you what do you think of, of the um, the suicide sacrifice at the end with the with the bomb exploding on the Dalek ship?
2: Look, Galloway, I mean, yeah,
1: uh, redemption. It is redemption, isn't it? It is redemption. Well, do- I
2: think he knew he kind of like screwed up.
1: Yeah, yeah. So do you think, you know, um, especially you know, well, I don't know, if shouldn't mention really, but um, these days, you know, you mentioned suicide bombers and so forth, and it's a very, very unpleasant, um, horrific thing, in fact, to talk uh, about. To...
2: Yeah, but I, I, I think what we have here is is very different.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's... Um. You know, because this is this is noble sacrifice. Yeah, I think yeah. I think he, you know, he has seen the areas of his ways, and yeah. the you know, it's you do get the, the feeling he's quite embittered. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah.
2: About, you know, Terence Dicks makes reference to dialect wars in the past, etc. Et 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 yeah. So I think.
1: Um,
2: i i i think that's quite i think that's quite a good uh way to um bring galloway's character art to an end
1: yes yeah yeah i think it's um it's quite interesting i'm looking at the last um two pages of the novelization here and uh, we were talking about um how it's um a children's book but i mean you you mentioned Noble sacrifice, redemption. Mm. Um, now all of these. This is what I love about these old targets. Um, you know, a children's book, yes. But look at the themes we're dealing with. Look, look at the implications you've just mentioned there. They, they it's, it's quite. They're quite deep, really. And they? they're quite. Um, uh, you, you know, it's much more complex in what's happening. I think, which I remember getting across as a child. That sort of. Morality of what's right, what's wrong, um, what's acceptable, what you know, what what's um, yeah, what's not. I suppose. Really, what what do you think, Michael?
2: Well, I I I think the thing is this was at a time when there were no grey areas.
1: Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Everything was black and white. Dialects were bad. Yeah right, the Doctor was good. Yeah. And, you know, ultimately Galloway is misguided, but he is ultimately a good person.
1: Yes, yeah.
2: And I, I, you know, and I think, I think he, you know, if you look at modern-day Doctor Who, there are some grey areas there. They've actually made the Doctor a grey character.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Now, but I think back then... It may well be that the way stories were told back then, um, there wasn't really a demand for complex issues.
1: Yeah, yeah. Or perhaps even the room for it within the novel, because they're very limited in space, aren't they?
2: Well, I mean, well, there is that, of course, Um You know, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, these Target novels had a page count and they had to be adhered to. There were were the odd exception where they would be, they would allow extra pages. Yes, yeah, yeah. But, um, I think, I think, there, it is, it's it's, it's still complex enough. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, because Terence Dix. Or or any of these doctrinals, they never talk down to the reader. No,
1: absolutely not. I was just thinking, and I agree with you wholeheartedly there, Michael. I'm just looking at these last two pages and some of the language, which we've got this noble sacrifice, to borrow your words again. Um, Galloway drew a deep breath, a deep shuddering breath, and pressed home the plunger. Mm. But we've got, um, just further down the page there, herring across the dunes the dar- the doctor glanced up at the ascending Dalek ship. Mm. Um the language, you know, it's all it's quite um it's quite complex, you know. It's saying about the city dying, it's clean cut geometrical shapes dissolving into shapeless blobs. This isn't this is this is, you know, relatively quite difficult stuff, for this I think. You know, it's not uh, it's certainly not talking down to any children, is it?
2: Well, I mean, again, I think at this point in the series, Doctor Who had become a family show. Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: As opposed to when it first started to being a children's show.
1: Yes, yeah.
2: And, you know, I think uh, the Barry Licks and and, the production team were very team to um, bring Doctor Who to a more um, family audience.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, yeah, you, you know, obviously we all know that Barry Letts was very ecologically minded. Yeah. Um, and I think it was becoming more sophisticated as well.
1: Yeah, I certainly think you, it know,
2: was. The, the programme was it had been slowly evolving as time has gone on. Yeah, um, and I think really, I think maybe the problem with this book is that you could you could say that Terry Nathan was still writing as if it was in the sixties.
1: Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's that, and he would carry on doing this into the into the Tom Baker years, but not with. The next Dalek script, as you mentioned, which no,
2: is, no, 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 yeah. not at all. I mean, that was well. I mean, that's that's a, that's something for another time. But I yeah. mean, that's quite
1: adult. Yeah, absolutely. We we we'll, we'll, we'll discuss that when we get to that one because that's uh, hugely influenced by Robert Holmes. That one, isn't it? Which uh, I've just well,
2: yeah, yeah you uh, say that, but I mean, you know, it's actually. I think Terence Dicks actually Steve. that's really. That's all
1: Terry Nation. Oh, right. Oh, that that's
2: for another time. That's
1: for another time. That's for another time. Well, could I ask you, first of all, just before we start finishing up, what mm. about... This is one of his last stories. It's his last season yeah. with... And he's joined by Elizabeth Slade and Sarah Jane. What do you think of the Doctor and Sarah team in this?
2: Um... Well, they don't really spend a lot of time together. No. You know, Belial is kind of like your your substitute companion.
1: He is, isn't he? Yeah, he is. In a sense,
2: the problem, I think the thing is, if you watch... Well, it's well known that John Pertwee didn't like the dialects. No, he did not. It's it's his third dialect story.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
2: And if if you look at the actual classic series he he is second to William Hartnell and to how many times he met the dialects. Yes. You know, um, I think, you know. And the other thing is, as well, this was Pertwee's final season, and he looks fed up. Yes, yeah. He yeah. does look fed up in this story.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: And so it was probably a combination of Mr. Dialects again, which he didn't like. Yeah. It was his final season and, and
1: because it, it
2: you know, depending on how who you believe, it was either to do with the fact that he won't pay him enough or it was bank problems or the death of Roger Delgado. There's a whole number of possibilities there. So Well Yeah so I, I I think I I don't think you get a real sense of how they work together in this story of the Doctor and Sarah Jane.
1: No, no. That's interesting. It's uh but in any case I think luckily those problems weren't transferred over into the the uh target novelisation. So Well I'm not yeah. We 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 get um you know so he Don't... seems
2: much more
1: lively, I think. Yes, yeah. I think there is a difference there with, with like you say, his portrayal on the screen, the um, the the chemistry. I think isn't quite um, what we get, but certainly as written by Terence Dix, it's fast paced it's lively, it's it's re- a really good story. I think you know, not technically, mm. as you pointed out, you know, not not technically, but um, as that rollicking read, as you said, I think is fabulous. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a rollicking good read. Exactly. And um, I'll just finish with saying, I love the part at the end where the Doctor says, when the city's been destroyed, rather a pity in a way, said the Doctor, yeah. now there are only 699 wonders in the universe, which I like all those little uh, bits that are that are put in like yeah. that. Uh, any, any last thoughts on... Uh, Doctor Who, Death to the Daleks? Um,
2: I don't, I don't think, so. the only thing that, really, well, the other thing that really pops into my head is me, I mean the Daleks, they get a hell of a rough time in this. So, <laughs> you know, so the title of the book lives up to its promise.
1: Oh, yes. And that, that's an excellent word to live up to and a good teaser for people to go out by the new release of the novelisation and the new audio release read by John Kelshaw, which, I think is fabulous. They, they, mm. they re- I really enjoyed that. And perhaps Michael, you could. Um, what would you like to review next time? Any any other new Target ones you're interested in?
2: Um, I, t- I mean personally, I would love to tackle a missing story.
1: Right. Right. A missing story. Okay. Well, we leave that one hanging for our listeners to uh, ponder on while we we work that out and decide which one we're going to look at there, a missing story. Well, um, anyway, I'd like to say um, thank you to Michael for joining us for the podcast. And, uh, Michael, do you want to say goodbye? Yes, um, a real pleasure uh, discussing this story this
2: evening. Um, You know, and... uh, Get out there, read this book or listen to it if you
1: haven't. Thank you so much for listening to Doctor Who on Target. Please join us for our next episode. And finally, I'd like to say a big thank you to BBC Books for supplying us with the audio versions and. Penguin Random House Publishing for supplying us with the Target novelizations, those fantastic reprints they're doing. And please go out and buy some of those and also the audiobooks which are truly fabulous from the BBC. Um, and a big thank you, of course, to the group who supply us with our theme tune. They are Smerin's and the Social Please visit their website smerings.com and perhaps you might even buy some of their songs which are on iTunes thank you and please join us next time goodbye